You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for Fansided and Pro Football Weekly. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. And you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. We are now finished with all seven rounds, all 11 picks made by the Green Bay Packers, and it was an eventful day three, even if the Packers didn't. As I predicted and as many predicted, Green Bay didn't trade up to maximize premium picks on day three, instead staying put and maximizing their number of picks on day three. And I, and it ended up being incredibly effective for them throwing assets at a critical need position. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things today. We're going to talk about the investment at the receiver position. We're going to talk about the lack of investment in the pass rush. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about the emphasis on special teams. But we have to start with the receivers. Brian Gutekinst, taking a cue from the Ted Thompson and Ron Wolf playbook. I want to take you back. 1999, I mentioned this yesterday, Ron Wolf, when Antoine Edwards, Fred Vincent, and Mike McKenzie. And one of those players became good. That was Mike McKenzie. And I brought this up yesterday because... The, the reinvestment in the cornerback position to go one-two with the corners reminded me of that. But then on Saturday, the Packers on day three, in the fourth round, they take Missouri receiver Jamon Moore with the 144th selection. And then in the fifth round, with the 174th selection, they take Marquez Valdez-Scanling. And then in the sixth round, with the 207th overall pick, they take Notre Dame's Equinemius St. Brown. By the way, three tremendous names. Tremendous names. And this is very similar to what we saw Ted Thompson do last year at the running back position, taking three running backs again in 1999. This is something Ron Wolf did. There is a history of this front office. Remember, Ron Wolf hired Brian Gutekunst at saying, when we have need positions, we are going to invest heavily. 2014, Ted Thompson drafted three receivers. Only one of them turned out to be a good receiver. Jared Aberderis, I believe, is now out of the league. And Jeff Janis, not on the team anymore, but became a, an impact special teams player. Provided depth at various times at receiver. When you take three receivers, your hope is one becomes a, a rotation-level player. If they were higher picks, you might want them to be a starter or a good starter. But on day three, you're expecting one guy to come in and just be solid, be a solid starter. And for another to give you something, some kind of impact. If all three become contributing players, that's gravy. That's not the point of doing it this way. You want bites at the apple. 
This is how the draft works. This is why you have 11 picks. This is why Green Bay made 11 picks. And when you look at these three players, the interesting thing here is Equinemius St. Brown was a player I had as the best of the three. And he was the last one picked. All three guys, 6'3 or bigger, all three guys, if you include the pro day workout, run 448 or better. These are size, speed athletes. And it is in keeping with what we saw on days one and two when the Packers went for freak athletes. St. Brown, who we will henceforth refer to as either St. Brown or EQ, although Equinemius is a great name, coming from the root word equanimity, which means to stay calm in the face of adversity. It's one of my favorite words. EQ, 6'5", 214, ran 448 at Notre Dame. I thought he was the 62nd best player in the draft. A legitimate second round, borderline second round, third round player. And he goes at the back of the sixth round. I had Jamon Moore as a third round player. I thought he was the 80th best player in the draft. And he goes at 170, or excuse me, and he goes at 144. Now, Marquez Valdez-Scandling, I didn't have in the top 100. That's okay, because he went 174. I thought he was a mid-round pick. But he's got size, he's got speed, he's got big playability. And this is, again, only one of these guys needs to be good. We saw last year the Packers drafted three running backs. Two ended up being good. But Aaron Jones gets hurt. Jamal Williams has to play. This is why you do it this way. Jamon Moore was the first one. So let's start there. University of Missouri, inconsistent at Missouri. But got better all four years. Improved his catch rate all four years. And he's a guy, I posted a, a gif of him running a double move against an Auburn corner absolutely torches him and very much looks like Devontae Adams. He is this the 4-6 number at the combine. He joked in the in the post-round interview that he's never run 4-6 in his life ran 4-4-8 at his pro day. On tape he looks like a 4-4 maybe low 4-5s player. He's 6-2 and 5-8 207. And if you take away that 40 time is an outstanding, outstanding athlete. Jumped 38 inches, three cone in the 96th percentile, short shuttle in the 88th percentile, put up 21 reps on the bench. He's put on weight, played at about 207, he said, or excuse me, played in the 190s, probably, put on weight at the combine, and he just needs to put it all together. He's an inconsistent player at this point, but when he flashes, when he looks good, He looks really, really good. I thought he was a better prospect than Dante Pettis from Washington, who the Packers were apparently thinking about picking in the second round, but got usurped and didn't get the opportunity to pick him, ended up taking Josh Jackson. I think this works out better for them because they get Jackson and Jamon Moore, who I thought was a better player. We're going to talk a little bit about Marquez Valdez-Scanling a little bit later but a guy 6'3", over 200 pounds, who runs 4'37", was an all-star track athlete in high school, started his career at North Carolina State. 
he is a deep threat who will need time to develop into anything more than a deep threat. But the guy that I really think is the impact player of this group is St. Brown. He was someone that played with Deshaun Kaiser. They'll get to practice together again. He had a, a breakout 2016 season, but then struggled last year when the quarterback play in South Bend was a Travis Shamakery. It was a disaster, and he didn't play well. And that's not really fair because he played well. He just didn't get the ball. He would be running open, and the quarterback would miss him or just not see him, throw it at his feet, throw it over his head. He never quite produced and lived up to his talent. But given his physical ability, we're talking about someone who could come in and be a legitimate feature player in an offense. I mean, that's the kind of talent he has. And frankly, I think Jamon Moore has that same level of talent. He's just a little bit older. He's has a little bit, he's had more opportunities to show it and hasn't. And so from that standpoint, I really like the opportunity that St. Brown has to come in. This, this group of receivers, I think there's a possibility that that all three of these guys make the roster and that Trevor Davis doesn't, that D'Angelo Yancey doesn't, and they find a way to figure out the return game. Trevor Davis is not a better receiver than any of these guys right now, and and D'Angelo Yancey certainly isn't. We'll see what Michael Clark looks like when he comes back, but the only sure things on this roster are Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, and Geronimo Allison. And beyond that, I don't think we can take anything for granted. That's three. If these three all make the roster, that means Clark, Yancey, and Davis can't make the roster. So, and that would be six receivers. Now, uh, is the door still open for Randall Cobb to to lose his job? Maybe, but they don't have anyone to replace him. So that seems unlikely. We'll see what happens. I think the most likely scenario is Moore and St. Brown make the team Valdez Scandling ends up on the practice squad because I don't think he's going to have a huge preseason. And I think eventually he becomes a special teams player. We're going to talk about that a little later. Before we move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge subscription giveaway. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of the podcast on iTunes and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That's a $39.99 value. Gets you access to player grades, snap counts, position ranks, fantasy projections, rankings, tools, charts, NFL draft coverage, Pro Football Focus profiles, fantasy, daily fantasy, everything you need to be an informed football fan. And all you need to do to enter the contest is put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast with a five-star review on iTunes. There is one player that that we're not really going to talk about from day three, and that's Cole Madison, the offensive tackle from Washington State. He's going to play guard. He's a very good pass protector. Run fits and the running game, he's going to have to work on because that's just not a thing that Washington State does. Literally, Mike Leach's offense in Washington State, they only call pass plays. He only calls pass plays. Any run plays are adjustments at the line. So... This is not a guy who's ready to come in and be an NFL contributor. I think this is a a signal to the team and to us that they're happy with their offensive line the way it is. Justin McCray, 
probably going to be the starter at right guard. Jason Spriggs probably going to be the backup to Brian Bulaga at right tackle. Kyle Murphy will have the opportunity to get reps at guard and tackle. And they're just happy with where they are. The other question is, where was the pass rush? Why did the Packers not invest in a pass rusher? They take James Looney from Cal, who's really more of a defensive tackle at 6'3", 280 plus, doesn't really have a lot of pass rush moves, doesn't really have a lot of juice there. And I think he is he is to be additional defensive line depth with Dean Lowry, Montrevious Adams. He is, he is just a depth play at this point. And then in the seventh round, they take Kendall Donerson from Southeast Missouri. I will not pretend to have watched any of Southeast Missouri, but when you're a player who is 6'3", 250, you jump 40 inches, you have a 10-foot, 11-inch broad jump, and you run 4-4-5, someone is going to give you a chance to make the team, even as just a special teams player or a developmental pick. But, I mean, this is a guy who was 394 on Draft Scouts board out of 2,100. But 394, not even 300 guys get picked. So a reminder that a lot of what happens on day three is setting up priority free agents. You're taking a guy because you don't want to worry about having to give him a contract after the draft. You have to fight for him. You have to sign him. So why did Green Bay not address their pass rush? Well, number one, I think the class was thin on the edge. There were very few elite players. Even Harold Landry, who I thought was one of the elite players, fell on day two and fell to day two. I think had he been there at 45, he would have been the Packers pick. But it didn't play out that way. I think if Josh Sweat had been there in the fourth round, he would have been the Packers pick. But it didn't play out that way. And so Green Bay just let let the draft come to them. But more than that, and I'm writing about this for Acme Packing Company this week, you look at this defense and say no sacks on third down or in the red zone last season. That is a failure of coaching. And it is a failure of scheme. When you don't have one call all, I mean, all year, you should luck into the right blitz on a third down or in the red zone. You should luck into a sack on third down or in the red zone. When you don't have go-to calls, when you can't make situational adjustments and situational scheme calls, you just can't be the defensive coordinator anymore. And that is what happened. Mike Patton is going to remedy that. The Packers were ninth in adjusted sack rate last year. Ninth. The problem was not the frequency with which they sacked opposing quarterbacks or put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. The problem with the defense last year was what happened when they didn't sack opposing quarterbacks. The secondary didn't hold up. Ben Fennell, friend of the pod, had a had a thread on Twitter earlier in the offseason, a week or two ago, where he showed Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, some of these guys getting to the quarterback just after the ball is thrown. And the ball is out in a hurry. In the modern NFL, pass rushers, especially edge pass rushers, have been relegated a little bit and subverted in their role because the ball is coming out so quickly 
And so much of passing games has become underneath throws, short throws, get the ball out like an extended run and let a receiver make a play. And if you don't have cornerbacks who can cover and run and linebackers who can cover and run, then you don't have a defense. And too often, Dom Capers played soft. He played off. He played zone. And you just have guys running free. He did not play a defense that was commensurate to the modern NFL. I said this a thousand times over the course of the season. And just by virtue of having someone who has half a clue calling this defense, this pass rush will improve. But more than that, you add Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson and Oren Burks to this defense, guys who can fly around, who can cover, who have speed and playmaking ability, and they're going to play press man coverage, disrupt at the line of scrimmage. You want to make short throws? Cool. You have to get off the line of scrimmage first. Disrupt the timing of opposing offenses. Give them that extra half second. One of the reasons Matthew Stafford picked Green Bay apart with very little pressure in his face is because Green Bay wasn't rerouting receivers at the line. Matthew Stafford could hit the top of his drop every single time and know where his guys are going to be because Green Bay didn't disrupt. They didn't get their hands on the receivers. And so he's got clean windows. He's got clean reads to make clear lanes to throw the ball because he just gets to the top of his drop and it's all there for him. It's all there like it's drawn up on the whiteboard. And even if you have good coverage, it doesn't matter. A good quarterback is going to make the throw. This is why Green Bay has been torched by good quarterbacks the last few years because you simply can't play passive. You have to get in the face of receivers. You have to reroute them. That is the life of a modern NFL defense. You have to disrupt the underneath throws. And and a little bit is daring teams to say, beat us over the top. We, we dare you. Because Clay Matthews, if he gets an extra split second, he's in the quarterback's lap. If Kenny Clark or Mike Daniels or Nick Perry gets an extra split second, just 0.2, 0.3 more, they have a sack or they have a pressure that turns into an incompletion. Your cor- the same way your pass rush can be the best friend of your cornerback, your cornerback can be the best friend of your pass rush by disrupting and taking away the rhythm of opposing offenses. And that's just not something Green Bay did on a regular basis last year. So you look at day three of the draft and the draft overall and you say they didn't get an impact pass rusher. I say that's okay because they got two impact corners, an impact cover linebacker. That was where the deficiency lied on this team. Because Nick Perry is a really good pass rusher when he's healthy. Clay Matthews is still an impact player in the front seven. And they have one of the best interior combinations in the league. Plus, they add Muhammad Wilkerson. Vince Beagle comes off a redshirt season. Montrevious Adams coming off a redshirt season. This should be a much improved front seven, a much improved pass rush simply by virtue of being healthy going into the season. And this revamped secondary can make this pass rush even better. You are listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local daily sports podcast network. Be sure to catch up on everything new across the NFL with Locked On NFL and get all the latest with the NFL Draft with Locked On NFL Draft. 
The last thing I want to hit on before we get out of here is Green Bay made an investment in the special teams. They have been trying to get a punter since what seems like since Craig Hendrick left. And they had Josh Bidwell for a while and Tim Mastay did some nice things, but they haven't had consistency and continuity on special teams in a long time. J.K. Scott is an all-star punter. He is a legitimate athlete. He's huge. He is incredibly effective. One of the best punters in college football history at pinning teams inside the 20. 25 of his 48 punts landed inside the 20 with only four touchbacks, and he forced 25 fair catches on his punts. He also kicks. He's a kickoff specialist. The Packers could use him there to save Mason Crosby's leg. I understand this. I am very much in the camp of you don't draft punters. And you especially don't draft punters in the fifth round when there are still real players to be had. But when you look at the players that Green Bay got overall and you say, okay, they get Jamon Moore, who was really a third round talent in the fourth round, and they get EQ in the sixth round, who's really a second or a third round talent. And you say... The totality of this, I like that word, the totality of these picks, you come away saying Green Bay wanted this punter. They had 11 picks in the draft. They wanted to make sure this was their guy. So they drafted him. Okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, Truly, I am. They also drafted a long snapper, Hunter Bradley. I'm I'm not going to pretend to be a long snapping expert, but he's a long snapper. There's only so many of those guys In football, Green Bay struggled with that last season with injuries. Brett Goode getting into his 30s. And they've been wanting to get younger at the position for a couple years now. So they get that guy. But I also think there's a good chance that Marquez Valdez-Scanling, although I, I do think he's a developmental receiver player, at his size, with his speed, he could be an ideal gunner. He could be Jeff Janis's replacement. And I even wrote that in my notes on Valdez Scandling before the draft. I said he's the kind of player with physical tools that may never be more than a gunner with some situational ability as a receiver who you, who you use in a pinch. That's what I think he is. Could he develop into a receiver? Maybe. But I think his value is on special teams. I think they'll give him a chance to return kicks, maybe even return punts. They're going to give him an opportunity to be a gunner. Will he tackle? I don't know. But this is a clear investment in special teams. Brian Gutekunst essentially coming in and saying, these are the places this team has not been good enough, and we are just going to throw assets at it. And I think it's a really smart move. I think if you look at this draft in its totality, in its entirety, I'll use a different word, you have to be happy with the way that it turns out. And I understand there is a a question about why they didn't go to the pass rush. I think I've sufficiently answered that. Now, you may feel differently, and that's fine. I didn't think pass rush was as big a need as a lot of Packer fans, as a lot of Packer media. I like the players on this team. I think Vince Beagle has upside. I think he has some pass rush ability, and I think a a healthy offseason will do wonders for him. There's a reason the year two leap exists. You get healthy, you have a full off season in the program, you're now comfortable with the scheme. Now, obviously, the Packers are making a scheme change, but that's a clean slate for him because Mike Patton is going to come in and say, you got to earn your reps. 
So Kyler Fackrell is not going to be on the field just to be on the field. And thank God for that. All right, we'll be back Monday to talk about the draft. There'll be more conversations about the overall top-line views of the draft. We'll get into a little bit more specifics of how we think some of these picks are going to play out with the roster, who could be out of a job thanks to these picks, who could see more time after these picks are made. And we'll get into all of that next week. Show on Monday, show on Wednesday, show on Friday. We are still going strong into May, into June. There's not a lot going on in May, but I'm going to keep having shows, keep producing content for you to give you your Packers fix because I can't remember being this excited about a draft class. It's been a long time. And I I was a big fan of Ted Thompson. I trusted Ted Thompson implicitly, but that is not the same as saying I loved every draft that he made immediately following. I didn't. And I really liked the 2016 class. I don't know how good that class is going to end up being outside of Kenny Clark, but I really like this draft class and we're going to continue to talk about it. Minicamp is coming up. We'll have that to talk about. Then there'll be a little bit of a lull until training camp comes around in July, but we're going to continue to push out content here. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. LockedOnPackers.com for all the podcast content. AcmePackingCompany.com, Fansided.com, ProFootballWeekly.com. It's all there for you so you can stay locked on Packers.